at the beginning of the retreat, the first um, couple of days at least, um, our encouragement is to uh, for all of us to really emphasize um, the awareness of practicing with uh, what we've been calling the energy body. And uh, you are asked to to review and become familiar with with uh, that whole area of practice before the retreat. So, not going to repeat uh, instructions much about that at all, um, <clears throat> or the whole uh, actually infinite range of possibilities that are there uh, with that and that are available with that in relation to the energy body and working with it. Um, hopefully we'll have some Q&A so people can ask or in the groups or whatever um, and, the, and the individual meetings can ask about working with that in terms of what comes up. But just to say right now very briefly a few general things uh, in, in, a, in, a, in a short summary around that. So just to remind the energy body um, when we use that term uh, we're talking about mindfulness of the body, but it's a different kind of mindfulness than, say, the, the usual mindfulness of sensations that we're mostly accustomed to hearing about and, and practicing with in the insight meditation world and the mindfulness world, the mindfulness of how does it, uh, what are the sensations with the hands under the uh, running water of the tap, what is the sensations of the breeze on the cheek, or when I... Uh, lift and move and place the foot uh, and the foot touches the ground in walking meditation or whatever. This is the more um, usual presentation of mindfulness of sensations. Very important, very lovely um, area of practice, direction of practice. And in a way that when we talk about energy body uh, as, a, as, a, as a mode of mindfulness of the body, um, it overlaps with that mindfulness sensation. It's not really something completely different. It overlaps, but really there's a different, if you like, tuning. Uh, we're tuning a different sensibility uh, than the usual um, mindfulness sensations. It's more subtle in a way, Gener generally speaking. It's more subtle. And this tuning of the sense of sensibility, um, it grows. The sensitivity to that, or that, that, that kind of awareness grows. We, the more we practice feeling the body and sensing the body um, as energy body, the, the easier it becomes, the more familiar it becomes, the more established it becomes. So it grows uh, uh, with practice, like, like uh, many things. What we're really talking about is a sensitivity to, a tuning to, if you like, um, the space or the field of the body a little bit bigger than the body even, and the energy or the feeling or the vibration of that whole space. Maybe certain <coughs> energy centers or points within that space, but really the awareness of, the tuning to, the sensitivity and sensibility um, towards and, and with that whole field of vibration, energy, feeling. And why, why is that important, or why are we emphasizing that? Well, for a lot of different reasons. Um, I, I tend to uh, view it as something so useful for almost every domain of practice. Um, so for samadhi practice, um, where uh, we can use the energy body and develop what I'm calling samadhi, this kind of energization of, of the energy body, of, of the... Um, mind as well, deep nourishment can come in. So using the energy body as something we tune into in an orientation of practice that's aimed at nourishment, energization, rest, brightness, calmness, and all this is a huge resource to, to mind and body. Uh, this, this practice of samadhi or um, working with um, the energy body uh, in the direction of samadhi. So all this is, uh, should, should be just repeat. Uh, you should be very familiar with this, uh, um, as we asked you to be. Another area where the energy body is really, really, really uh, a helpful resource and really useful is, is in navigating 
uh, and responding to and caring for our whole emotional life. So the energy body reflects and expresses um, what's going on with our emotions. Um, very, very subtly, even very subtle emotions. Um, emotions that probably we don't even have words for in, in the English language. Shades, uh, subtle movements of opening or contraction or turning away or whatever it is. Um, different kinds of love, all kinds of things. And uh, the sensitivity, the attunement to the energy body can be a really, really uh, part, uh, can be a really, really skillful way of working with, with the emotions, really helpful, developing sensitivity and developing, um, you know, skillful responses to uh, the vicissitudes of our emotional life. Uh, thirdly, uh, the, the sensitivity and awareness to the energy body, the tuning to that, actually proves to be a really helpful in guidance and kind of navigation for whatever practices we're doing. Um, whether it's imaginal practices and one, one, and one can feel the resonances or uh, a dimension of the soul resonances of the soul making and the soulfulness of what's happening in relation to an image. For example, one feels that partly in the energy body. It's a way of gauging whether one is on track, whether an image is um, going to be fruitful, or fertile, or soul-making, or helpful for the soul. And also, in terms of um, emptiness practice, or more, more, much more broadly, insight practices. Uh, again, um, are we on the right track? Well, the energy body will reflect it. With, with uh, when there's the release and the relief that should come with insight, we feel that in the energy body, not just in the mind. The energy body will reflect it much more subtly, uh, much more palpably than, than the mind, much more accurately than the mind. Um, so the, the freeing, the, the, the release of contraction that should come uh, with any insight, small or large, um, in the moment, um, this is this is felt in the energy body and can tell us. I, I may not even quite understand what just happened or how I'm um, looking right now, what the insight was, but something the energy body is telling me. Whatever you're doing, it, it, there was an insight there. It was helpful, or not, or this is leading to more contraction. In which case, what's going on? What's what's coming in as a thought or an assumption or a view that's actually causing more contraction? If you like, the opposite of insight, in a way. But also uh, with metta and, as I said, samadhi and other practices, um, the sensitivity to the energy body will help us know when we're on track. Whatever little um, experiment or play or shift uh, we're, we're uh, working with in practice, ah, yeah, that, that feels right. I can feel it in the energy body. And with metta, sometimes the feeling in the energy body itself can become metta or be interpreted as metta and then radiated outwards or bathed in or wrapped in or whatever. All kinds of possibilities, but really for any, as I said, any direction or um, domain of practice, any kind of practice, the energy body, for me, uh, can be really helpful to make central. So, so helpful in so many ways. And so on this retreat, um, whatever we're doing, whatever you're doing at any time in meditation practice, can it, be, can it be done in touch with, sensitive to, open to, aware of, attuned to the energy body? Now, anyway, uh, when we talk about working with the imaginal and cosmopoesis and things like that, we, we can't do that all day long. Uh, working with, with an image or with a cosmopolis. These, these things come and go. Um, right now, at the beginning of the retreat, um, as I said, we want to have more emphasis on the energy body, perhaps more on the cultivating of the samadhi or the tuning to the emotional movements coming and going, ebbing and flowing. Um, just, just at the beginning, a little more leaning that way. And as the retreat goes on, as you get more skillful with all that um, even off retreat over over months, and you know uh, there can be uh, m much more f fluidity and, and uh, flux in in the emphasis um, between the different practices, between the intentions and orientations, whether it's towards samadhi, towards working with the emotions, towards um, feeling guidance, towards feeling the energy body, 
in relation to an image or cosmopoesis or, or whatever. Um, but all of them, as I said, include all these orientations, all these intentions for practice at any time, include, never lose touch with the energy body awareness. Um, but this fluidity or uh, flexibility of emphasis, um, any of these practices can move via the energy body from one to another. So, for example, again, all this is repeat, should be repeat for you um, if you listen to those other talks. Um, for example, one's working with an image, and as one's working with the image and noticing all kinds of things in terms of the soul making and the energy body, one realizes, for example, often, that with this image, a harmonization has come into the energy body, an opening, a lightness, a, a, a beauty in the texture there um, of the space of the energy body. And if one wants, one can um, then lean more the emphasis of the attention into that loveliness of the feeling in the energy body uh, with the intention of um, entering into it, bathing in it, basking in it, um, wrapping oneself in it, enjoying it. And then the intention has moved from the imaginal work into more the intention of samadhi, of that as a resource of, of staying in that. Really valid, really, really fine, very, very useful at times. And of course things can work the other way around, from samadhi to an image that uh, is, if you like, comes out of samadhi or is made available because of the depth of, of the samadhi and the, and, and the harmonization there. Or, for example, uh, one's um, working with a certain emotion and, again, in touch with the energy body, and from that emotion, maybe it's a difficult emotion, perhaps, um, and out of the vortex of energy there that's wrapped up in the emotion, an image comes, and then one works with the image and, and that feeds back into the emotion, etc., maybe unlocks something, uh, helps it, transforms it, all kinds of possibilities. Again, all this should should be reviewed. But this this uh, growing, um, as I said, fluidity and flexibility uh, to move between uh, these different emphases in practice. And even now at the beginning of the retreat, you know, many of you are familiar with these kinds of ways of working, or you might even find that this fluidity is available, even if a lot of this is relatively new. Um, so some degree of fluidity between these emphases and orientations, intentions of practice is, is really valid. But as a, at the beginning, let's uh, let's a little bit more lean into really emphasizing, staying with, staying close with the energy body, developing the samadhi. Um, or the meta, or or the sensitivity to the emotional um, flux there, and the attuning to the emotions. Uh, but really, in a way, with the energy body, especially in relation to samadhi, um, anything goes. It's very, very creative. Like so, how we can play with the energy body and the image or images, potential images of the energy body, for instance, visual, or with colors, or lights, or lines, or other images that work into the energy body and, 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 and give it harmony, um, as I said before, and a nice feeling. Um, the possibilities are actually infinite. Um, the, creative, the potential for creativity is, is open and infinite. But what we're, what's really important then, for however way one is working, uh, whichever way one is working from, say for example from an image or something visual, what we're prioritizing is the, the, the felt sense, the, the kinesthetic sense of that space, the texture, the feeling of it. So as, as far as um, the energy body is concerned, that's the primary thing, is the feeling, the texture of that space. You know, in a way, you talk about this energy body, I mean, maybe it's a, for some people, a slightly strange phrase or whatever, but in a way, we could say that the energy body is as much, or maybe even more, uh, about an awareness, uh, a sensibility, a subtlety of attention um, than it is about the body per se. So when we talk about energy body, we're really talking about a way of paying attention, a sensibility, a subtlety of awareness um, to that space of the body, rather than something about the body per se. 
um, or rather than a certain experience of the body. So I feel a certain flow of energy or, or whatever. So energy body is, um, if you like, a way of feeling, a way of experiencing, a way of attending to and attuning to the space um, of and, and around the body. Walt Whitman, I, I can't remember what poem it's from, whether it's Leaves of Grass or Song of Myself, or something, I can't remember, but he has a lovely line, I sing the body electric, I sing the body electric. And uh, in a way, you, you, we can hear that line as I sing of, I sing about the body electric, the energy body, the, the beauty that's there in this sensibility and feeling the body this way. Um, the, the body alive as a field, if you like, of electricity, of harmony, of, uh, of that kind of more subtle energy. And I sing also of the, of the well-being that's available in that mode of paying attention to the body. And, and uh, as some of you will know, that well-being has a huge spectrum. It can be very, very subtle and unremarkable. Um, uh, and it can also be extremely intense um, or very, very blissful. Um, all, all kinds of um, gradations and shades and uh, uh, tastes, if you like, of, of, of well-being, of bliss, of pleasure, of comfort. Really opening up the range of um, possible experiences um, of the body. This electric body, this energy body. So... I sing the body electric means I sing about that, I sing of that energy body. And in a way, you could also, I sing the body electric can be heard another way. I sing the body electric means I, uh, it, through my singing, through my enchanting, and the word enchant is, you know, enchanté, in French, enchant, to, to chant, to sing, actually. Um, so through my enchanting, um, through uh, my conjuring, if you like, to borrow a phrase from the Buddha, the conjuring of consciousness, of perception, through the spell, the magic spell um, that I'm playing with in my awareness, um, through that I sing the body electric. Through my singing, the body becomes electric. The body becomes this energy body. The experience of the body becomes that. So I sing that metaphorically. I sing that through my through the way that I'm paying attention, through the way that I'm conceiving of the body in the moment, I sing, um, uh, I enchant, I, I, I cast a spell, uh, and the sense and the image of um, the energy body comes into being. I sing it into being. The emphasis here is on the sing, on the enchantment, not on the I. I sing the body, no, I sing, uh, I sing the body ele uh, electric. So this um, experience, if you like, of an energy body, this, this kind of awareness, um, we could say is something we create. It is something we create. We're fully acknowledging the dependent arising of this sense of the body, of the energy body, of an energy body, and the dependent arising of that perception, and the dependent arising of how it feels. So that as you practice more and more with the energy body, you, uh, we, we, we recognize and we, and we become very skillful in, um, when I look at it this way, when there's this quality with the awareness as opposed to that quality, it changes actually the experience and the perception of the energy body. Um, the lightness, the contractedness, the flows, the openness, all, all of that changes dependent, independent arising with the, the ways that I'm looking at it. And all of this is um, beautiful territory to explore. So much potential there for, for learning and, and play and creativity. But we acknowledge, because of dependent arising, that this experience of the energy body is something that's created. It's created um, by and with the mind. You know, sometimes there's, uh, some systems of chakras have four chakras, some have seven, you can have nine or whatever. It's like, which is the truth? Well, the, the experience of the energy body is not separate from the mind. So I can experience four chakras, I can experience seven chakras, I can experience nine chakras. It's not different from the um, conception, the subtle conception or gross conception that's operating in the mind and the way of looking. The energy body itself is formed, is fashioned, is fabricated. 
So yes, it's created and it's discovered. And this is this this um, razor's edge, if you like, of uh, what is created and uh, discovered at the same time, both created and discovered. This is something we're going to return to as a theme in this retreat. I'm just mentioning it now in relation to the energy body. So when we do the walking meditation today, um, can we, again, emphasize the energy body? So just for now, for today, um, can we, uh, or if you're doing this course you know, elsewhere on retreat, take your time. Uh, take your time with this. It could be more than a day. But can we walk, so to speak, in the energy body or in that awareness? So I'm walking in, a, in this bubble or region or space that is this, this kind of sensitivity to the texture, the feeling, the vibration, the energy in that field. How fast do I have to walk that, that allows me that um, fullness of that kind of sensitivity, allows me to tune in? Maybe they have to walk very slow, maybe at a normal pace, maybe actually quite fast helps. And maybe that varies over the course of a walking session. So um, play with that. At times it will feel more helpful to just stop and stand, either at the end of the walking path or in the middle, because that's stopping and being still allows you to to more fully inhabit and feel the energy body. So just, again, be sensitive to, in the moment, what is helpful in terms of pace, in terms of being still or moving or whatever. So there's the formal walking practice, and we said, can we do it in, in the energy body, so to speak, we're sensitive to the energy body. Um, and then there's also informal, walking around the house or going for a walk or whatever it is. Um, and this too, at times at least, can you experiment um, with what it is to just move around, um, not in informal movement uh, in, in your day, but, but in the energy body, sensitive to that. What, is that possible, walking down the corridor, whatever it is? Most people, um, certainly if you're, if you're new to or newer to energy body practice, um, which might, might, you know, newer might be uh, you know, even uh, months uh, or even a couple of years, is still new, maybe. Um, most people will be helped by slowing down. So as you're walking around the house inside, especially, just um, slow down a little bit. The slowing down is not for the sake, this is something I'll return to, not for the sake of um, a microscopic attention. I can divide the lifting, moving, and placing of my feet. I can divide that not just into three, I can divide it into um, nine or whatever, and this microscopic uh, division um, of attention. That's that's actually not a priority. I'm going to talk about this in a minute. Not a priority um, or a reason why we're slowing down. We're slowing down to allow that different sensitivity, that different kind of mindfulness of the body, this mindfulness of the energy body, we're, because we're allowing, we want to encourage that and give ourselves the best opportunity for that to establish itself and become more and more accessible. So that's the reason why we're slowing down. Okay, I'd like to say some really um, quite general things about practice um, uh, because we're emphasizing the energy body and we've given all those instructions in other retreats and talks and asked you to be familiar with them. So I'd like to say some general things now about practice. The danger in saying them now at the beginning and the danger also in talking generally is that um, these kind of things easily get forgotten um, so I wonder if if you can, um, if you're taking notes or whatever, if you can remind yourself of them periodically because what I really want to talk about right now is five attitudes or orientations or inclinations or emphases or assumptions that are really quite prevalent um, across much modern dharma uh, that we want, uh, they're quite, they tend to dominate, um, underpin and direct um, practice and thoughts about practice uh, and constrain and, and uh, limit practice, uh, limit the range of unfolding of experience that's possible, um, 
and also the range and depth of insight gets limited through through emphasizing uh, uh, these orientations or clinging to these orientations or having these assumptions. And then on this retreat, on this way of practicing, if you like, in this way of conceiving of the Dharma, we, we'd, we, that we're wanting to offer on this retreat, um, we're wanting to uh, usurp them, if you like, cast them out of their dominance, question them, and replace them with other, um, other priorities, if you like. So there's five of these, really, and I want to um, just touch on them briefly. The first is concentration. And so this so often gets uh, emphasized, and um, in, 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 in two aspects that I want to uh, draw attention to. One is actually as continuity. The first, aspe- uh, first sort of um, way that concentration gets emphasized is continuity. So I'm not talking about jhanas or anything like that, I'm talking about even a continuity of mindfulness. And what I want to say is, um, actually before I get into this, uh, again, I hope you can hear this as a um, a response to the context, to a leaning that to me has sometimes gotten um, too much or overemphasized and comes at a cost. Um, and so, not that it's not important, but just l- leaning the other way um, to balance things out or open things out in ways that perhaps they don't open because of because of the habitual leaning. So, in our way of thinking about it. Um, or going about practice, not the continuity of mindfulness or attention, um, that's not what liberates. So unlike, say, Mahasi-style practice or Goenka practice, where it really is uh, the continuity that's emphasized, um, that's sort of the golden key as much as anything to, uh, or the idea is that's the golden key to liberation. Instead, in, in our way of approaching things, um, it's rather the deliberate and flexible exploration of a range of ways of looking, noticing the different effects of each of these ways of looking on uh, dukkha, on contraction, on self-sense, on perception. And with that, the question, what can we understand from seeing uh, all this? And when I look this way, this is the perception. When I look that way, that's the perception. So that uh, deliberate flexibility of exploration of race looking that takes the uh, that is more important than continuity of mindfulness. Now, actually, just might ask why why is it that continuity of mindfulness is is regarded so often as so important? It's interest to me. It's an interesting question. Either it's because mindfulness gets presented. Um, whether it's in inside meditation circles or mindfulness uh, teachings or whatever, mindfulness gets presented actually as a way to live. Um, recognizing that's actually Im- impossible to sustain it, but still it's presented as, as an optimal. If you could live um, and be mindful all the time, or as much of the time as possible, that is the way to live. So it's a way to live rather than a way of looking. There's a big difference there. Or sometimes even... Uh, uh, mindfulness itself is taught as 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 equivalent with awakening. A moment of mindfulness is a moment of enlightenment, or something like that. Or, again, um, there's the emphasis on continuity is, is tied up with seeing anicca, seeing impermanence, more and more continuously and intensely, and seeing anicca as reality. This impermanence is the ultimate truth. And then the other two characteristics, anatta, not self, and dukkha, unsatisfactoriness, they come from the perception of anicca. Things are uh, are unsatisfactory because they're impermanent. And things, uh, there is no self, there is anatta because uh, things are impermanent. Um, But this impermanence is taken as, as the reality the primary reality. And there's a whole metaphysics of reality and a whole conception of what insight is is that's tied in with and tied into this emphasis on continuity. It's quite different from the approach of a flexibility of ways of looking. So we're not emphasizing on this retreat, in this approach, um, concentration, either as continuity 
or in in a second aspect as a kind of prioritizing of focusing of uh, prioritizing of trying to keep the attention on one thing whether that's the breath or the body or the whatever it is um Samadhi, in the way that I use the word, and uh, and I would say in the way that the Buddha used the word, is not is not actually that well translated by the word concentration, but more what gives a better, um, fuller, uh, to my mind, more attractive um, meaning translation is it's a it's a well being in the energy body um, and a harmonization of the energy body, which the mind then much more easily settles into and fills out. Yes, steadiness is part of that, but it's only a part of the picture. Okay, so the first of these five is concentration in two aspects, continuity and this prioritizing of focusing. Prioritizing of trying to keep the attention on one thing. These are so often emphasized and we're saying, no, we're not going to emphasize them. The second is something we could call atomism. Okay, so the first concentration, the second is atomism. Um... By which I mean either aiming exclusively for a uh, a narrow focus, a narrow area of concentration, maybe the tip of the nose if you're staying with the breath, or um, or this moment of taste, or this sense, this uh, area of sensation in the body, or whatever, a narrowness of the area of focus or concentration. But more importantly. There's an atomism as a kind of prioritizing or elevating or an exclusivity of um, uh, not just microscopic attention more generally, but also of understanding of the view of reality. Um, again, wrapped up in that is an idea that um, the true reality is atomic. Moments of this moment, uh, sensation, these small sensations put together in a process very, very fast, and that's a kind of ultimate reality. So this kind of atomism, again, is something we want to, um, on this retreat, really we're not steering towards that at all. We have different priorities, different orientations, inclinations and intentions. So concentration in its two aspects, and atomism, the second one. The third one we've touched on already, Reification or realism, in contrast to um, what I was talking about, emptiness, ways of looking, fabrication of perception, as, as a basis, as a basic understanding, present at even the most basic level of practice, even the most, right from the beginning. Um, it's, it's, uh, we can teach the Dharma and explain the Dharma in those terms of emptiness. It's not uh, necessarily an advanced thing. But emptiness as... Uh, present at the beginning, and also as the goal of understanding, the goal of practice. So this, uh, we've touched on this, I'm not going to go into it again, but this is a very different approach to Dharma, um, through ways of looking, and, and the idea of ways of looking, and fabrication. And, and it can embrace, it can hold anything in the Dharma, any teaching, generosity, metta, whatever, uh, ethics, it, it can all um, come a- actually under the uh, umbrella, uh, understanding the rubric of, of emptiness. So, concentration, atomism, reificational realism. The fourth one is what, what I might call solitude, or self-sufficiency. Again, there is a tendency in the Dharma to um, view uh, solitary practice um, and, and self-sufficiency in one's process, in one's practice, um, uh, as better than relational practice. Solitary practice is somehow viewed as better than relational practice. Now, there's a whole thing about relational practice that we're only going to really get into in a, in a small way on this retreat, but, but, but it still feels important to mention it. And solitude also uh, can mean, or I also mean by solitude, um, a predominantly inward uh, looking. So, insight meditation, um, we tend towards silence, silent retreats, silent retreat centers, etc. The eyes are usually closed in the meditation. But even more significantly, um, again, going back to the Pali Canon teachings and the Buddha 
so many times t- talks about um, an escape from the world. Nibbana is an escape from the world. The unfabricated, the goal of practice, is 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 an escape from the world. He uses that actual uh, that phrase and that word escape. So the whole thrust, the whole direction, the whole intentionality of of Pali Canon. Um, Buddhism is at this escape from the world, not to be reborn again. And with that, there is a kind of disenchantment with the world um, that's that's wrapped up with all that. So the Buddha talks about kaya viveka and citta viveka, um, kind of isolation or or, or uh, removal of of the body from. Uh, from crowds, uh, the solitariness, and also removal of the mind in in different ways, and this escape, moving away from. And that's in contrast to, uh, you know, um, an engaged practice, um, politically, environmentally, etc. I've talked about that in other talks. Um, But it's also in contrast to a re-enchanting, which is the theme of this retreat, Opening the eyes, opening the knowing to the world, and seeing, sensing the world, the cosmos, as uh, enchanted. For example, seeing it as as bliss, uh, as a classic tantra teaching. The nature of all things is bliss. Um, Seeing divine beauty everywhere, in all things, more and more in the cosmos, this cosmopoesis. um, Seeing or knowing all appearances as divine, again to borrow a tantric phrase. And then, to, to, to expand, deepen, enrich, widen the sense, our senses, plural, uh, of, of, of sacredness, of the sacred. So, concentration in its two aspects of continuity and prioritization of focusing. Atomism, reification or realism, the third. Solitude, self-sufficiency, solitary practice, the fourth. And the fifth is what we might call, and um, what we might call, Sanity, or uh, or as well sanitization, by which I mean this is a little bit more insidious even insidious even um, by which I mean a kind of narrow conformity. It's it's often unconscious to conventionally prescribed modes of expression and views. So there's a conformity to expressing oneself. Uh, in different ways, in different domains and areas of our being, and, and also conform to certain views. Usually these are picked up um, uh, from various cultures that we are subject to, that we move in. So, including secularism, the sanitization of secularism, if you like, um, and the sanity of se- so-called sanity of secular secularism. It's, a, it's we move in that culture. Most of us, I certainly do. Um, I feel uh, that that our society is dominated by that. But it also includes Dharma and Buddhist cultures. So how often we are um, we have a conformity to you know, for example, an uninvestigated and kind of biased attempt at dispassion. So this is a you know, uh, again, a complex um, area needs a lot of sensitivity and openness of questioning and balance of approach. But oftentimes there's this suspicion of desire, suspicion of passion, suspicion of eros, and it kind of imbues Dharma culture and affects very much um, how we then practice and how we relate to life and ourselves and others. So all of this, this sanity, sanitization, it's all safe and sane, and the uh, what it can sometimes it is a kind of um, if we're with S's a, a kind of soggy serenity that becomes the kind of the, the tenor or the ethos of, of of practice and of life, as opposed to fire, not soggy. Um, so these are five, as I said, emphases or attitudes, orientations, inclinations. Uh, assumptions that are very prevalent um, across, as I said, much much of um, certainly modern insight meditation, but also uh, other thing, other areas um, of of spiritual practice. So, can we orient differently? Can we assume differently? Can we have um, 
different inclination. So those five are actually, um, if you want to remember them, they make two anagrams, in fact. The first one is CRASS, C-R-A-S-S, concentration, rarefication, atomism, solitude, and sanity. CRASS. Um, And in a way, because if these five um, inclinations and assumptions dominate, practice will be crass uh, to a certain extent. It will be crass. It will stay gross and not be able to to deepen in subtlety. And this this aspect or dimension of subtlety is something I want to return to. I, I, I see it as so central and so vital to the possibilities of practice. Subtlety, subtlety of awareness. Uh, so um, integral to the possibilities of, uh, to Dharma possibilities. And, and as far as we're concerned, it's an element we are seeking to open and move into, this subtlety. Um, another anagram that come out of this to remember is SCARS, S-C-A-R-S. Just rearranging the order there. And... Um, you know, I've heard from people when these are dominant, or they don't realize what it is that's made them feel this way. When these are dominant too long, they can uh, these factors, these assumptions, these intentions and orientations. Um, when they're dominant too long, they can, in a way, scar our soul and scar our potential in various ways. So um, maybe all this sounds quite polemical, and yeah, well, it probably is. Um, but just to qualify it a little bit, again, none, none of these attitudes is wrong. Absolutely, they're not wrong at all. But it's just that they can easily become, and, and probably they have become in the Dharma world, over-dominant and, and even exclusive. And that um, a person doesn't realize how, how practice has closed around these concepts, orientations, assumptions. And as I said, that will have all kinds of limiting effects um, in all kinds of directions, in fact, in in our practice, in our path, in our life. So in contrast to all that, as I said, we're emphasizing the flexibility of ways of looking, um, moving in and out of of different ways of looking, and, and through that, revealing uh, that, that flexibility, that moving in and out, revealing to us, uh, because of the effects on perception, revealing to us um, dependent origination of things, dependent origination, fabrication of perception, and with that, or, or another way of saying that, is the emptiness of all things. So it, it, it reveals insight. Um, but we're also developing a flexibility in ways of looking and the availability of different beautiful, beauty-making, sacred-making, soul-making, skillful ways of looking. So we're, through the, the moving in and out, we're developing the flexibility and availability as well as the insight into dependent origination. Um, so within that, as I said, it's not continuity. Sometimes one is, you know, it's fine, just one is actually not deliberately uh, practicing. There's maybe a minimal level of mindfulness and sensitivity to the body and what's going on around, etc. And that's fine. Right now, one is not practicing. One's not striving for this continuity. As long, That's fine as long as one plays enough in the course of the days um, with uh, and, and in one's life with this deliberate moving in and out of, of different ways of looking because it's that that, as I said, gives us the insight, the flexibility and the availability of different ways of looking rather than just trying to be mindful um, as continuously as possible. Now with all that, sometimes some, someone gets a bit confused and, and says, well, what about precision? Because, for example, in Mahasi-style practice or these other more atomistic practices, um, precision means a, a microscopic kind of attention. But for us, the precision is really in the um, subtlety and the clarity of differentiating or discerning between different ways of looking. So what exactly is involved in this way of looking that's going on for me right now? What exactly um, constitutes that way of looking? What ideas, what images, what um, uh, 
energetics, inclinations of mind, um, view, all that. It's quite, it's quite, there's a lot of subtlety and precision in understanding what exactly is involved in the way of looking right now. And what exactly are the effects of this way of looking right now? Um, on the freedom, on the emotions, on the energy body, on the soul-making, on the perceptions of self, of other, of world, etc. What exactly are the effects and why? So the precision is, is in this area. How is this way of looking right now subtly different from one that uh, a person might describe that sounds pretty similar, or that is pretty similar, this one right now is subtly different. How is it different? So that's where the precision comes in. It's in the subtlety, the clarity of differentiation uh, uh, between different ways of looking, discernment, understanding what's involved. And to touch on this point about subtlety that I mentioned some minutes ago, um, I would say that deepening in meditation generally involves and generally kind of corresponds to um, an an in- increase of subtlety of the awareness and the attention. Deepening meditation involves generally and corresponds to uh, an, uh, an increase, a greater degree of subtlety of awareness of attention. So subtlety, in this way of thinking about it, does not, again, said this three or four times now, does not mean a microscopicness of points of attention, microscopic points of attention um, in, in whatever sense door, um, or microscopicness of, of moments of attention. I can, you know, divide this second into however many moments. It doesn't mean that. Uh, I mean, uh, by increased subtlety, I mean increased sensitivity to more more subtle, if you like, um, vibrations, tones, wavelengths, resonances, emotional shades, uh, um, more subtle, uh, more um, refined perceptions. This is what I mean by, by, by more subtle. Um, the movement, as I said, the movement of deepening practice either in insight or in samadhi or in metta, is actually into more and more refinement. So the jhanas, the eight jhanas, uh, again, people don't really realize this. They think of them as increasing concentration or this and that. Or, um, but actually, um, they are increasingly refined perceptions. They're more and more subtle perceptions, what the Buddha calls perception attainments. And similarly, with as insight goes deeper and there's more and more letting go, um, there's um, less and less fabrication of perceptions, like less and less solidity and coarseness and um, density and thingness to perception. So, so whether through the spectrum of the jhanas or through the deepening insight, perception is fabricated less and so necessarily becomes more and more refined. And the attention to inhabit that world, to stay with it, uh, needs to become correspondingly, or does become correspondingly, um, subtle and refined. So this movement into more subtlety um, is, is intrinsically part of deepening meditation. And this is uh, very relevant to the work we're doing with images and soul-making and enchantment and cosmopoesis. A lot of it is really quite subtle. I mean, yes, sure, some, some can be very powerful, fireworks, etc. But um, as, as one moves deeper with all this, and I said even with, thing, with uh, qualities like metta um, and compassion, the movement is into more and more subtlety and refinement. So this, this is something more that we want to emphasize. And related to all this, um, we can, uh, we should uh, be flexible at different times with what is, so to speak, the priority in our meditation. Um, so I've touched on this before, but just to pick it up even within one practice. So let's say, let's say one has at any time um, in this sitting or in this portion of a sitting, I'm prioritizing my intention is um, in the direction of samadhi to. To, to develop that that um, that nice harmonized field and the mind um, filled out settled in in that field 
of harmonized energy body, etc. Now, within that current of intention uh, towards samadhi, it could be that my priority is um, at times is is indeed staying with the object. This prioritizing of focus. Um, that's that's part of it. That's fine, of course. Um, and and so I'm really working to stay with whatever it is, the breath, or stay with the body, or the field of the energy body, or, or whatever or an image, or, or whatever it is. Um, it could be that. It could be that my priority um, is um, tending to, or gently encouraging, and kind of gently allowing to maximize the, the sense of well-being, the sense of comfort and pleasure in the energy body. That's a slightly different priority than focus. not slightly different, it's quite different than focusing or staying with an object. Or third, my priority could be at some time within this samadhi uh, current of intention. It could be my priority is tuning to what is more energetically subtle and refined. And so, and through that tuning to what is more subtle in the field, in the body space, in the mental space, in the perception, um, there is this increasing subtlety of attention. So right there, for example, you have three different possible priorities at any time within one current of practice and one, in, one larger intention of practice. Now those three, the staying with the object, tending to their well-being, or tuning towards what is more subtle, that, again, they're not completely separate, they're connected and, and they will uh, help each other, they're mutually dependent, um, often, uh, or for the most part, let's say. But what, what tends to happen, um, in, in a, for a lot of people, related to what we said before, is it's the first one of those priorities that gets um, overemphasized, staying with the object, focusing, so to speak. And the, the, the second and the third, the tending to the well-being and the tuning towards what is more subtle and refined, and, and thereby subtilizing the attention, these get missed, they get um, overlooked, dis- disregarded, not, not um, nourished enough. And as I said, that, that will keep the practice gross. And sometimes people breathing away and, and it just stays the same and maybe they're locked into the breath but nothing's really deepening because the whole thing's staying at a level of grossness. It's, they're, they're blocking the movement into subtlety um, inadvertently um, either through the attitude, the priority or through keeping the breath gross or whatever. Most people as I said, have too much emphasis on this staying with the object and focusing etc. And then how upset uh, they get when they don't succeed, when they feel like, oh, I'm so crappy, my concentration is so bad, I really need to work on my concentration, um, and you know, one judges the self, etc., so that the whole notion of success gets tied into how, how well can I stay with this object uh, continuously. And there's the um, neglect in that instead of the other two the other two priorities. In the Anapanasati Sutta, the Buddha's uh, discourse on mindfulness of breathing, um, the very first two instructions, if I remember, are breathing long deliberately and breathing short deliberately. As a turner or weaver or whatever would turn the wheel, then then knows, you know, what's happening. Now I'm doing a long turn, now I'm going to do a short turn um, on the wheel. So, but, but the difference there is not so much about length of breath, it's about, you know, the shorter breath tends tends to be, uh, on the whole, a more subtle breath. So there's a movement, first you start with the long, and then, and then it goes uh, as a second step, once that is established, into more subtlety, into the, into the shorter, more subtle breath. And there's also in the Anapanasati Sutta this, um, what was called in the second priority, this tending to the well-being, tending, calming the bodily formations, tending to the, um, the pleasure in the body, the, um, I've forgotten the exact words, but basically piti, this uh, nice feeling in the body, pleasant sensation in the body that comes as, as the samadhi deepens. So the Buddha, you know, right there in, in, in his instructions on mindfulness which uh, of breathing, uh, he has instructions there that, that cover all these priorities uh, and more, but so often they get missed and we just go to this focusing as a priority. Let me say a couple of things um, more generally about, again, about the pra- practices. Um, 
in this retreat. We're going to have there's going to be lots of suggestions, lots of ideas um, for practice and instructions that we're put, putting out there. Um, you won't, you probably won't be able to keep them all. This, this, you know, kind of bubbling away with twenty pots on the stove for this this week. You know, um, it may not even be necessary to try them all. I mean, we encourage you to, but um, some will feel more or less like they work or whatever. But you know, don't get too hung up on this. It's being recorded. You can revisit the stuff later. Pick up what didn't seem to work. Try it again on what you missed. Um, don't. Don't get into um, a tizzy if it feels like, oh, it's too much for me, or I'm not getting it, or whatever. You, you can come back to this. Um, or if you're distracted, I, oh, I was daydreaming, I didn't hear what you said. You know, obviously try and pay attention and be here, because that also creates the field of the retreat for everyone. Your engagement, your presence, your aliveness, your interest, your openness, um, uh, is part of what makes the field for all of us. Um, but, you know... Don't don't get overwhelmed, okay? It's being recorded, it's there. Uh, Another thing is, and there can be a lot, I've written about this and and talked about it elsewhere, you know, one common way of practicing insight meditation um, is sort of just being with experience. Whatever experience arises in the moment, one generally is just trying to be with that or allow it. And for some people, that's the whole of their practice. That's um, that's what they do. That's what insight meditation is, and they feel very suspicious of deliberately uh, trying to do anything, deliberately directing the attention, or or um, playing with the way of looking. Um, what I want to say is both are available. Um, uh, they're, they're different modes of practicing. So just allowing so-called just being with experience, I actually think that's a bit of a uh, a myth. There's no such thing. But uh, let's let's say at least for a beginner, that's a fine thing. Um, versus de- deliberately directing the way of looking, etc. But they're just modes, and I would say they're both really important. We really miss a lot if we're never deliberate. We miss huge, huge potential um, f- uh, in, in practice and, and what the Dharma can be. Um, one, one uh, yogi said said to me or wrote wrote to me. She said she described that for many e- years her practice was was this was more like this first one, uh, not not deliberately really doing anything, just kind of letting what comes comes. And she said for many years my meditation practice resembled a chicken running over a minefield, uh, which I thought was a great a great picture. Um, you know, it's just. Uh, this disaster and then that disaster, I'm just trying to open to it all and be with it all because it all seems so real and I don't realize that I can change the ways of looking and that actually, um, uh, through playing with that, it actually changes what arises. And that's not not being with what's real because I realize that there isn't, as I said before, there's no independent reality here. So they're both modes, but, you know, in, in regard to imaginal practice and enchantment and cosmopoesis, you know, for most people nowadays, because of um, the disenchantment that's pervasive in, in, in modernist culture, in modernist Western culture, um, working with the imaginal, um, the uh, enchanted perceptions, the cosmopoesis, are not usually habitual. Uh, the, the mind doesn't tend to go there that much. Um, tends rather to see according to the flatness and the one dimensionality. So we actually need to encourage them, which means a bit more deliberate. But you will find over the week, and as you practice more with these kind of ways, that um, images, uh, cosmopoesis, cosmopoetic perceptions, if you like, or openings, will happen spontaneously as I said, out of samadhi or out of an emotional, um, out of being being uh, sensitive to an emotion in the energy body it will give birth to images, etc. Uh, both spontaneously and deliberately, um, images and cosmopoesis can arise. But but what I really want to encourage is to return to what what I started with is letting the sense of soulfulness and soul-making guide you. And, and part of that is the sensitivity to the energy body. Let that guide you. So sometimes, um, 
we try out uh, some something deliberately, some image or cosmopoesis that um, either because it's, um, for instance, a classical tantra prescript prescription, a classical tantra sort of meditation, or it's a suggestion from one of us or from someone else, and um, we might deliberately try that out or deliberately return to it. Um, but what I want to emphasize again is um, please uh, pursue and stick with and try again only those um, images and cosmopoeses oases, whatever the plural is, um, that, that have resonance for you in the soul. So this is so important to be, to recognize, to be sensitive to. Even if some of them feel um, that they were initiated, or they seem to, to have been initiated in a kind of contrived way or an external way, what guides you is uh, the, the sense of soulfulness and soul making uh, and the energy body. Let that guide you um, in, into what you um, return to and pursue and stick with and try again and work at. Because if we don't um, use that set soulfulness, then then actually uh, the practice and the practice that we're doing will be will, will actually be kind of lifeless, soulless, pointless, really, except as kind of exercises. For example, an exercise in visualization or an exercise in concentration. How how again how. How much can I stay focused? How long can I stay focused on a certain image? But nothing deep or significant um, for or in the soul is touched. Nothing is um, moved for or in the soul. I mean that word moved as in, uh, as in uh, to be moving, to be touched, but also moved as in it starts to be dynamic, starts to form a dynamism in the soul. Nothing is vivified, brought alive. alive. Nothing um, is really getting enriched or deepened. But if, if there is, with, with uh, a practice or a cosmopolitan or a way of looking or an image, um, this sense of soulfulness, then, then we can be sure that all that is happening. So really then the encouragement was spontaneous, deliberate, lots of suggestions in everything that we're offering, etc. Um, really the encouragement to, to play with it, to experiment, to let yourself be creative. It's like um, here is an artist studio and we're just opening the door. And it's got all these materials and all these different kinds of canvas and and. Um, different kinds of things that you can make sculptures with and different, a whole bunch of different paints and watercolors and oils and all these uh, materials um, and video stuff you can play with and whatever. And it's just, in a way, what we're doing is, is just opening the door to an artist studio and you can come in and just play, uh, f- feel that way about it. Playful, experimenting, creative. Some people, their personality or their style of going about, whether it's this kind of thing or whether it's emptiness practice or whatever, is very systematic and sort of working through in order, kind of comprehensively. Um, and that's fine. If that suits you, go, go for that uh, if you want to. Or other people are more kind of fluid and a bit more what looks like haphazard or uh, whatever, intuitive. Let, let, you know, let, you, let yourself... Um, Work in the way that feels good for you and feels right for you. So, for example, I think I mentioned in another talk, you know, we're, we're going to be wor- working with, we want to re-enchant, if you like, or explore the re-enchantment of cosmopoiesis through, through all six senses. Um, sight, sound, taste, smell, touch, and, and mind. Um, and that, that doesn't mean, uh, this should be obvious by now, it doesn't mean mindfulness is bare attention to the experience in the six senses, the sensations there. It doesn't mean arriving at those, exploring those senses with the typical modernist concepts of matter. We're opening them up in different ways. But some people move through those six senses very comprehensively, thoroughly in order and separating them all out. Other people um, skit around a little bit more, whatever. But find the way of working that, um, that suits you, that serves you. Last thing, for now. What is the point of all these practices? Uh, we'll be offering all these suggestions and guided meditations or whatever. Um, this, this to me is quite important. The point is not to believe this or that. 
about the self, about the world, about life. Uh, said that before. Um, we're not trying to move you to a place that you believe X or Y about anything. And nor is the point actually trying to achieve any particular perception um, of the, a red etheric light body or a blue body or whatever, you know. Um, it's not, I don't see the point of all this as achieving any particular perception. Rather, though, it's through all these practices, through the exercise of this flexibility in ways of looking, in and out and trying different things, and through the exploration of the, the, what we would call the attitude of art or uh, poetry um, in relation to perception, through the exploration of that attitude, um, through all of that, a loosening happens or actually rather many loosenings happen. And this loosening is of fundamental importance, or these loosenings are of fundamental importance. Loosening, liberation, unfettering, um, uh, uh, being set free from all kinds of prisons. But more even than that, through, through all this, through all the practice, through the exercise of flexibility and ways of looking, through this exploration of the attitude of art, if you like, in relation to perception, or poetry, poetry of perception. Through all that, a sense, uh, a perception, a knowing comes. However vague, however undefined, however unarticulated or seemingly unarticulatable, and however diverse the range appears to be um, of these experiences or senses or perceptions or knowing, they're plural, um, uh, however diverse the range, however varied um, through the flexibility we just alluded to. But a sense, a perception, a knowing, or senses, perceptions, knowings come of eternity, we might say, of timelessness, as a better way of putting it, of beauty, different kinds and levels and ranges of beauty, and uh, this opening up of the sense of sacredness. This uh, knowing, perception, sense of sacredness. And actually, as I said, we're talking about um, a plurality here, so it's not one sense. Even of timelessness, there's different uh, perceptions of timelessness, of eternity, of beauty, of sacredness. And these perceptions, these knowings, these senses, they themselves open, they deepen, they widen, they become... Um, through all these practices and these attitudes and this way of approaching things, they become more accessible in our life. They become more available to us. And they actually become more frequent. They become regular um, visitors, regular aspects of our existence. And that, it's that, that is the main point of all this. That is the main point of all the practices. At least that's how I would see it. That's the main point. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.